how much uh, you mean to Sycamore View. And Sycamore View, I hope it means a lot to you as well. I want to welcome everyone who is here in person. So thankful for all of you joining us online today. Please open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Since I knew I was preaching 2 Corinthians probably a year ago, this may be the sermon I've been looking forward to the most. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, Paul talks about a thorn in the flesh. And I don't know how long you've been in church, or I don't know if you've read the Bible much, but if you have, you've probably heard somebody quote this about a thorn in the flesh. And we'll talk about what that may have meant for Paul later on. But in chapter 12, verse 9, Paul tells you that he heard a voice from God. Like he heard the voice of God. Now here's Paul, who's this great leader, a great writer, an apostle. And he didn't always hear from the Lord. Like he was led by the Lord, but he doesn't always tell you like exactly what he heard from God. But this is a moment he tells you word for word, the voice of God that spoke into his life. And it was, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. All right, now, I'm assuming somebody in here can identify with a thorn in the flesh, whether that's a physical ailment you are feeling right now in your life or some form of depression or anxiety or social hurt or church hurt, you can identify with a thorn in the flesh. And you need to hear the voice of God that spoke to Paul as the same voice that speaks to you. My grace is enough for you. For God's power is made perfect in your weakness. Now I want you just to say in 2 Corinthians 12, let's back up. Let me talk about it. I I just want to invite you to keep praying for the Middle East. I don't have like a great word of wisdom for you about this. We just pray to the only one who could dispense peace. And in any form of war, there's sadness. uh, It's devastating. and, And we just pray for peace. I do want to encourage you when it comes to how you take in the news to hear about, especially events in the Middle East, pace yourself and set up some boundaries because it is so easy for us to get sucked into just hours of listening to podcast after podcast or news story after news story, trying to know what's going on and it can slowly like harden our hearts toward what is happening in events all over the world and we want to keep our take in the news, want to know, but like set up some boundaries in your life. I want to mention just real quick, it was talked about earlier in family news, but on November 1st, it's a Wednesday night, we're going to come up here at 5.30, we're going to eat a meal, and what church doesn't like to eat together? Come on, right? And then at 6.30, we're going to come in this room, and it's, it's an important night for us. Like, you took the time, hundreds of you took the time to fill out a survey a few weeks ago, and what we want to do is just kind of walk you through line by line. If you're a guest, new things to you, but we want to talk about, as we were to our 50th anniversary, which is in 2028, which in some ways feels like forever away, but we know it's going to be here before we know it. And we want to turn 50 right. So we, want, we just want to talk through some things that you have helped reveal to us about how we can reflect well and celebrate well and how we can use the next few years to prepare ourselves for the next 50 years of God's work in and through the Sycamore View Church. So uh, I know Wednesday nights can be really difficult to make it, but I want to encourage you to be here that night with us. Uh, lastly, I just want to hit on the 316 offering again real quick, and let me just affirm a few things about our four mission efforts that we're a part of. For these families that you hear us pray over throughout the year, and you heard Mandy uh, pray over just a few minutes ago, these are some of the most hospitable people I know, and one thing I love and affirm about all four of these couples is they are not in this to become heroes or to leave a legacy in which they are remembered. When I think about Dino and Mata in Greece, and I've been able to visit them over in Greece, these are some of the most loyal people I have known, and I have seen them pastor their people in Greece, and they are loyal almost to a fault. 
David and Lori make such a great team because David is this great visionary. He dreams big. And Lori is one of the most compassionate people I've ever known. I, I, I refer to her as a walking Red Bull. Like she never runs out of energy. It's just, it's just there. And I've seen her in her element in Zambia day after day, just whoever is in front of her, how she treats them and cares for them. When I think of uh, Gonzalo, and uh, Myra, when I think of the work they do in Panama, and I know we have like 60 people gone today. Most of our high schoolers are gone and some adult volunteers. How many of you in the room have been to Panama? Just a show of hands. Yeah, I mean, this is the effort that we've probably had more people be a part of than anywhere else. And, and uh, when I think of these two people, they just, they embody hope and joy in everything they do. And last but not least, Dima and Julia who I have not been able to visit Ukraine, but the work they have done in and through wars and all kinds, I mean, famine, and, and to see that when I think of them, I think about resiliency, I think about bravery and courage and how their faith in God seems to only increase when times are hard. So I, I, I wanna invite you as well to consider what a gift needs to be toward our 316 offering. And as we care about this global God who's doing things all over the world. May the next few days of our reflection and prayers for our missionaries help encourage us to be missionaries right here where we are. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In 2 Corinthians, and I've mentioned this quite a bit, almost every week, Paul's defending a lot of his ministry. Now, all of us have dealt with critique before in our lives, right? There's critique that comes to us. Like some critique is really helpful, constructive criticism. We need it to grow. And then there are those people probably in your life who like they wake up every day thinking that the spiritual gift God has given them is to critique everything, right? Now, it's one thing when people critique maybe a project that you engaged in or a task or something like that. It's one thing like, I mean, for example, for me, like there are times where people may not agree with how I, how I treat a text or how I talked about a certain thing and we have conversations about it. But then there's the criticism in life that sometimes comes after your character or your motives and your intentions, and that hits differently. Like there's a critique that comes after like, uh, you know, a project or something you did in work, and then there can be the critique that comes after your character, your integrity, who you are, and, and that's, it stings. For Paul, when it came to the churches in Corinth, there was both. And the reason he cared it's not just for his legacy. It wasn't that Paul's trying to protect his platform. It's that how Paul's life was being minimized, the good news of Jesus was being minimized. The reason he cared about this is he's trying to protect and promote the unity of the churches in Corinth for the sake of Jesus. But in the critique that came his way from the churches of Corinth, it wasn't just about, hey, you're not a great teacher or you're not as charismatic as some of the other leaders here. Like they were coming after his character. Let me show you just a few places where this happens. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7, the genuineness of his faith is under attack. He says, you're judging by appearances. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. Like there are people who are questioning whether they're like all in when it comes to being a Christian or not. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, he's questioned about being a servant of Christ. What he says, are they servants of Christ? Am I out of my mind when I talk like this? I am more, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, he, he says this, I've made a fool of myself, but you drove me to do this. Like I, I ought to have been commended by you for I'm not in the least inferior to the quote unquote like super apostles, even though I'm nothing. 
Like apparently these like super apostles were there who were like, in order for them to elevate their platform, they were minimizing Paul's influence in that city. And check this out in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse three. It says, since you're demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. Like there are people who like, Paul, you need to prove to us that you're a man of God and a leader of God. So here are these leaders in the church who are boasting of their accomplishments and they're boasting of their uh, charismatic gifts. They're boasting of all these experiences they've had with God and in doing that, they're minimizing Paul's leadership. So it's like Paul's like, hey, you're, you're boasting about what you've done. Here's how I'm gonna boast. And here's what he does. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 28. Instead of talking about his sermons and his teachings and the influence of his ministry or the people who have come to Jesus through God's work in and through him, here's what Paul says. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure or anxiety of my concern for all the churches. So there's physical and mental pain that he has experienced. So it's like Paul's like all these other people, these leaders are boasting of their leadership and their charismatic gifts and their platforms and what they mean in court. And then Paul drops this story on them at the end of chapter 11. If I must boast, I'll boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is, praised be, uh, pra- who is to be praised forever, I know, uh, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Eratus had the city of Dem- Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. It's like Paul is saying, you have all these leaders in the church who are trying to elevate their spiritual experiences. Oh, and I just want you to know, there was a moment in time where I, I thought I was gonna die and my ministry put me in a basket where I had to be lowered outside of a gate in order to survive. Here's the deal. People in Corinth have been boasting about their charismatic gifts. The city of Corinth was a charismatic city. And the churches in Corinth were very charismatic. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul talks quite a bit about spiritual gifts. And he doesn't minimize them. Uh, and sometimes in how we critique spiritual gifts, he doesn't sweep one under, under the rug or talk about how they left after the, all the apostles died. Like he, uh, he affirms gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, we get this one verse where Paul's like, hey, everything needs to be done decently and in order. How many times have you heard that quoted in a church, right? But if you read all of chapter 14, it's all about charismatic gifts and prophecy and speaking in tongues in which nowhere in chapter 14 does Paul say prophecy doesn't exist anymore, or speaking in tongues doesn't exist anymore. He affirms spiritual gifts, but talks about how it needs to be done for the edification of the entire body. So as Paul talks about these spiritual experiences with them and how to keep it in a decent and orderly way, he is affirming these gifts. For a moment, Paul decides to play their game. 
And here's what I mean. For a moment, he decides, if you want to boast about your spiritual experiences with God, I'll play your game. And I'll boast about some spiritual experiences I've had with God too. If this is how you want to go about trying to measure effectiveness in ministry, and you want to boast of these spiritual charismatic experiences, I will match you story for story. So in chapter 12, 1 through 4, which some people don't attribute to Paul, but I think he's being autobiographical in how he talks about this. Here's what Paul says. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord that I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know, God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was called, caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. So just in four verses, Paul lets you know, you wanna talk about spiritual experiences, I'm gonna match you with spiritual experiences. Here's one I had, that I had this spiritual experience where like I was caught up into the third heavens, like I was caught up into, into paradise, like I had this out of my mind, out of this world experience with God. And just a few verses later in verse 7, Paul says this, because of these surpassingly great revelations in the plural. So he's not just saying this is a one-time experience I had with God, but I have had moments with God in which revelations have been given to me from the Lord. So here's a few things to know about Paul, especially in Corinth. In chapter 5, verse 13, he said this, If we are out of our mind, out of the world, as some say, it's for God. And if we are in our right mind, it's for you. And this out of our mind phrase that you have in your Bible is actually one word in the Greek. And this one word is, it's the word that we get uh, ecstatic from. And you can see, if you want to take a picture, hurry and write this down in chapter 5, verse 13. This is a phrase meant like beside ourselves or caught up or how you lose one's mind or you're out of one's senses. So this isn't Paul saying, I had a spiritual experience in a worship service in which there was a song that moved my heart. This isn't Paul saying there was a song that was really moving and the hair on my arm stood up. This is Paul saying I've had extraordinary encounters with God that were literally like out of this world, like out of my mind. But when this happens, it's not for you. It's not for me and God to have this moment where you watch it. it it's, it's for me and God. It's for God and me. Paul does not rule out out-of-the-world type of experiences with God. In fact, he claims to have them too. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18, talking about speaking in tongues, Paul says this, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So even in chapter 14, Paul doesn't say that it's, there's no way that the Spirit of God may move in someone to speak in a language that other people can't understand. He validates it and he says, I do it too. In chapter 12, verse 7, he says, surpassingly great revelations. Paul doesn't rule out supernatural experiences with God. He claims to have them. And I've been in worship settings here and in other places where I've experienced things in my life. I've experienced breakthrough. I've sensed conviction in myself or in other people that can only be attributed to the work of God. I've seen the Holy Spirit do things in some people that it's really hard to explain. I have trusted friends inside and outside of the Sycamore View Church 
who do claim to have a prayer language that alone with God, there is sometimes a language that they use in prayer that no one else can explain. A few years ago, I had someone in this church who came to me and they said, Josh, the weirdest thing in prayer, I, I feel like I need to ask God for the gift of speaking in tongues. So if somebody came and asked you this question, how would you respond? And my response was, if you feel the need to ask for it, why don't you ask for it? But no, in alignment with 1 Corinthians chapter 14, if God chooses to give you this gift, it's for your edification and for your encouragement. And if God chooses not to give you the gift, it doesn't mean God doesn't love you or like you. Because there, there are gifts that God gives just for our own edification, not for the edification of anyone else. And here is Paul affirming that these spiritual, like out-of-the-world experiences can happen and that they do happen. And here's what we know, that in some circles, getting carried away or being out of our mind can become a test of maturity. And this is where it's been really challenging for some of us who have grown up in churches is that there are some churches, especially charismatic churches, who may teach that these spiritual experiences, encounters with God, this is what happens when you become a more mature follower of Jesus. So if you don't get the encounter, you're not mature. And I don't believe that's how Paul would talk about spiritual gifts or spiritual encounters with God. The pendulum is swung in some churches that I was raised in, and maybe many of you, that it was like, hey, emotions are just out altogether. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, what was used. Everything should be done in a decent and orderly way. So I grew, go, grew up going to a church camp where every year we were given this speech that at baptisms at church camp, you don't clap and you don't applause and we will not publicly, like, out loud rejoice because everything needs to be done in a decently and orderly fashion. The first church where I preached when I was going through grad school, a decade before I became their preacher, there, there was a church split, and the church split because people in church began to sway and to clap hands during church. And we all know that swaying leads straight to holding snakes in church, am I right? <laughs> so there have been some churches who just, hey, just, just throw all emotions out. But check out what Paul does here. He discusses his experiences because others have discussed their experiences and he matches them experience for experience. And he shares just enough to let them know that he has supernatural encounters with God that he can draw from, but he doesn't tell you all the details and it kind of drives me nuts because wouldn't you like to know a little bit more about those four verses about what it was like to be caught up into the third heaven and what it was like to be in paradise? Like, did God literally transport his body? What was this encounter like? But Paul doesn't care about you knowing all the details about his encounter with God. It was between Paul and God. What Paul wanted them to know is, I've had these spiritual experiences too. But when it comes to spiritual experiences, this is not the test of maturity of a Christian. Worship appeals to the emotions. It always has and it always will. And there is a place for peak, out of this world, spiritual experiences, but it's not the test of the Christian faith. So sometimes I can be leery, I can be suspicious of people who always claim to hear from God. Like sometimes I can be suspicious of the people who like every single day God's telling them something or showing them something or they're able to feel something with God. I can be suspicious of that, but I can also be suspicious of Christians who never try to hear from God. 
are Christians who never ask God for an encounter or an experience or a word. Because for us to hear from God means we have to create this space in our lives where our prayer lives, it's not just about God hearing from us, that maybe the creator of the world would like to encounter you too. Now, my plan up until three weeks ago when it came to preaching this sermon was to preach 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses five through 10. And I did not wanna touch verses one through four because I'm afraid it leaves a lot of us confused. But the more I spent time in chapter 12, the more I knew I could not preach about a thorn in the flesh and the sufficient grace of God without also preaching about what comes before that and this encounter encounters that Paul has with God. Paul's main goal in talking about his abundant revelations about being caught up with God in these spiritual experiences was to boast in the God who provides strength in his weakness. So notice in chapter 12 that Paul doesn't talk about a thorn in the flesh and then talk about these spiritual experiences with God. He talks about the spiritual experiences and then he's gonna talk about a thorn in the flesh. What he wanted people to know is God's extravagant grace doesn't just meet you in the ecstatic moments of worship. God's extravagant grace meets people in their pain and in their weakness. That the grace of God isn't just here to meet you when you have those mountaintop experiences with the Lord. The grace of God is here to meet you in your lowest low and in your deepest need. So in chapter 12, verses 5 through 10, Paul writes this, I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. And even if I should choose to boast, I will not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or what I say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And I want you to notice on this next slide, I want you to notice this word torment. And you may wanna write this down in your Bibles. This is a word that means to strike with a fist or to cause physical impairment. This is not a word used much in the New Testament, but this is a word that is used um, when Jesus was about to be crucified and what was happening to him is he was tortured. So this this is the word or image Paul has in mind. And when it comes to the thorn in the flesh, we're not really sure what it is. When it comes to the thorn in the flesh and this word for torment that you see on the screen, this could stand for epilepsy, it could stand for hysteria, depression, anxiety, leprosy, speech impediment. And if you're taking notes and you want something to look later, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, and in Galatians 4, verses 13, and in verse 15, Paul talks about eyes that had gone bad, maybe because of his experience in Acts chapter nine with God, Paul talked about a speech impediment. So it may have been a physical ailment that was this thorn in the flesh. It could have been anxiety. It could have been both. And when it comes to our own thorns in the flesh, I bet we could define those in a lot of different ways. And in verse eight, it says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And let's stay there just for a moment because I want you to notice Paul talks about three different times. He went before God, begging God to take it away, not just once or twice, three times. 
So for those moments in your life when you go before God to take some thorn in the flesh away from you, be like that widow in Luke chapter 18 who just kept pounding at the judge's door, begging the judge for mercy. And here's Paul who didn't get an answer a couple of times. He kept going back to the Lord to plead with God to take this away from me. And it's when he pled with the Lord the third time that he tells you that there was this phrase, there was this sentence that came from God, that my grace, my grace is sufficient for you, my grace is enough for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. If we keep going, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And then in verse 10, you get this. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight, or in some of your versions, is I celebrate. I delight in weaknesses. And you'll see on the bottom of the screen I have. Here's what this Greek word means. It's to consider something as good and therefore worthy of consent, determination, and resolve. That this thorn in the flesh that God has not taken away from him, but has affirmed his grace, has now led Paul to say, look, that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight and weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And I want you just to stay on this, the next slide on verses eight through nine, just for a moment. And I want you to think about this. The way Paul does it in chapter 12 is God took Paul from the highest of mountains and then also took him to this humble place of pain. Just in 10 verses, Paul goes from sharing that God had him at the heights of spiritual experience and the realities of earthly pain. That one moment he was caught up in a worshipful experience and the next moment he is humbled by pain in his life. And this thorn that he talks about reminded him of weakness and limitations. And through it reminding him of weaknesses and limitations, limitations, it generated inside of him this deep dependence on God's grace. So when you think about those thorns in your own life, and it may hurt like crazy, and you have begged God to take it away, may the weakness and limitation you feel from it generate inside of you a deep dependence upon the grace of God. And Paul does not stop with this pain. Pain doesn't stop him. It became something he could boast about because he knew that in and through Jesus, whatever I'm experiencing, whatever this thorn in the flesh is, in and through Jesus, this does not have to define me. This won't define me. And that is so true for you too. I just want you to know this morning that in Jesus, in Christ, you are stronger than you think you are. In 1 John 4, 4, it says that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So this morning, as we go to communion, these two verses are going to stay on the screen. And what Jesus spoke to Paul about my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I, I can't help but think, like, was this a word that God gave Jesus when Jesus was on the cross? And now Jesus gave it to Paul. That in and through weakness, God's grace can be displayed for everyone to see. And as you think about verses 8 and 9, I just want to encourage you in your life this morning, as we take the bread and the cup, don't be afraid to ask God for an experience, for an encounter, for a divine experience. And don't be afraid to ask God for sufficient grace to sustain you and carry you 
through your weakness. This morning, I know John French is going to be up here to my right to receive you, one of our elders here. Jenna and Lever Nice are two of our prayer partners, and I don't know which one of you want to go right, which one, one of you go left. I know we'll have a shepherd in the back. I'll be up here to the left. And if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, we would love to talk with you today about what it means to take the next step in your faith, what it means to surrender to Jesus, what baptism means for you. This morning, if there's a thorn in the flesh and you need to share this with someone, we got five or six people around this room who are here to just receive you, to pray for you, or maybe there is a spiritual experience in your life that you would like to share with someone, not, not so that you boast in yourself, but so we boast in a God who continues to encounter us in amazing ways. And everyone who is here is invited to the table this morning, to the bread and the cup. So this morning, will you stand up right now? Hang on one second, man. Will you close your eyes and bow your heads? And God, this morning, for the sufficient grace that meets us in, our, in the deepest places in our soul, will you speak this word to people in this room out loud? Give us ears to hear it, hearts to receive it. For the bread and the cup that we take every Sunday that reminds us of everything Jesus has done for us, we give thanks in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.